Well, through two weeks, Oregon State has certainly played and looked like a Pac-12 contender. But what do we really know about the Bees right now? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team free, but until then, very loaded and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe. Rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 or more infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. You know an antibiotic for the infection of not having enough Beaver coverage specifically, Carter Baines, a great antibiotic for for that. Beaverblitz.com, the 24-7 sports national writing desk as well. Let's dive right into it, Carter, because we've seen Oregon State dominate through the first couple of weeks. 42-17 against San Jose State, who, you know, kind of hung around with USC for about a half and change, and Oregon State only really let them hang around for about a quarter, uh, and it never felt like it was that close. And then they play UC Davis. Last week, who I'm actually going to see on the radio call for for Southern Utah in uh, Sacramento, and they beat him 55 to seven, and that's you know an FCS program, but a good one. So what 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 can we actually say about Oregon State right now? Not a ton, but I think we know that the defense is still pretty solid. Uh, just when you do the, the whole transitive property thing between San Jose State playing against USC and Oregon State, I mean the the Spartans looked. Uh, I don't want to say inept against Oregon State, but they weren't really able to get anything going with any sort of consistency. And they did at times against USC. So I think that's enough for us to say Oregon State's defense is still pretty legit. Uh, and then offensively, we know Damian Martinez is the real deal. Uh, we knew that coming into the season, but he's done nothing but produce 100-yard games so far this year. And I think DJ Uyunglele is living up to the early hype um, you know, he didn't throw a whole lot against UC Davis. He didn't have to. Um, but against San Jose State, you know, drawing a lot of national praise from um, really from all all sectors of college football. Um, and I think Clemson fans were, uh, were probably wishing that maybe they had held on to him after that uh, that week one loss. So, I mean, everything that you wanted to see from Oregon State in the early season really is exactly what you've gotten. I, I think with DJU, the, the contrast of Clemson losing to Duke in football, not basketball, in football, is kind of what exacerbated the DJU, you know, kind of hype. Tra- like, it was just kind of an easy narrative to paint. I'm not harping on DJU here. I, I do think that against the Pac-12, it's going to be a much higher caliber of defense. We know San Jose State is not uh, a defensive juggernaut. UC Davis, of course, competing at, at the FCS level. And... I think so far, we'll, we'll get to DJ a bit more later. He, he's been pretty darn solid at, at this point in time. But looking at, at this week's matchup with, with San Diego State, a team that you know got beat badly by UCLA a week ago, 35-10 to 10, on their home field. The game is in Corvallis. I don't think Oregon State has any problem here 
whatsoever. I, I think the Aztecs are just kind of an okay to maybe above average Mountain West team, but they struggled in the trenches against UCLA. I thought they might. I think they will again uh, against this Oregon State defense. Can we learn more? about the beeves this week or is it just all going to come down to hey what do you bring to the table whether it's dju or the rest of the team once pac-12 play begins no i i don't think you would learn anything positively from this game i mean if oregon state slips up maybe you'll learn something about you know their ability to take care of business against inferior competition but uh, like you said i i don't think they have any trouble here this is not the same caliber of san diego state uh, team and, and program that we have seen in years past. You know, this is somewhat of a down year for this program that uh, generally gives Pac-12 teams a, a lot of trouble. You know, when you think of of Mountain West teams that have performed well against the conference, San Diego State's right up there with the top, you know, with, with the Boise States, with the Fresno States. So um, I, I, I just don't see the Aztecs putting that much of a scare into the Beavers considering the way Oregon state handled San Jose state to start the year. Um, and really, I don't think, I mean, I don't take anything away from uh, the UC Davis game other than Oregon state did exactly what you expect, but um, there's, there's no reason for me to believe that Oregon state will slip up here. Yeah. I, I'm in agreement with you there. And, and so far, I think Oregon state ha- has kind of looked the way that, we expected him to, not just from a results standpoint, but from a stylistic standpoint mm-hmm. as well. It's like, okay, they want to run the football a lot, like they did against UC Davis last week. They were, I think, pushing towards 300 yards on the ground. They didn't even throw for 200, and they put up 55 points. They only allowed seven. San Jose State, DJU is you know in that sort of zone in week one where I think he is going to be at his best for Oregon State and why I thought he could be a much better version of what he was at Clemson because he's just not asked to do as much. Like, you know, Cade Klumdick is a really talented quarterback as well. And guess what? He's struggling in that same Dabo Sweeney Clemson offense right now, even with Garrett Riley as his offensive coordinator, they put up just seven points in week one and they run everything through the quarterback because that's where they found success. But why I like the DJU merger with, uh, with, with the Beavs uh, you know, a traditional merger, not the conference realignment type. Uh, I, I think that he just has to go for, you know, that San Jose State game, I think, is the perfect script. And look, it's only the the San Jose State, were they the Spartans? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the best team you're going to play all year, but they were on the road. It was week one. San Jose State had already played a game, and they looked comfortable, in control. They knew what their identity was. And DJU went for, what, 240 and five total touchdowns, three of which were, were through the air. That is the script for Oregon State to be a Pac-12 contender this year. And he did it from the first drive of the game, too. I mean, this is it's not like he needed a half to warm up. I mean, he had a great first half, too. Um, to your point about you know him fitting an Oregon State system a lot better than Clemson's, um, one of my takeaways from Oregon State's win against UC Davis was the way they used the two quarterbacks because Aiden Childs did play the entire second half and was very, very impressive uh, in that half hour of football. When DJ's on the field for Oregon State, he is like strictly operating in the pocket. You know, the only time they're designing runs for him is in those short yardage situations where a guy of his stature is basically just the second coming of Jack Coletto, basically when he's running the quarterback sneak, you know, at Clemson, he was running a whole lot of 
RPOs and read options, Oregon State just hasn't used him in any of those situations at all. And that's part of what drew him to Oregon State was the pro style system. The fact that, you know, they put their quarterbacks in, in positions to be successful and always have uh, under Jonathan Smith and, and Brian Lindgren. Aiden Childs comes into the game and it's a completely different game plan. They're running read options. He's, you know, running RPOs every other play. You know, they're running these these short routes for him to to dump it off to speedy receivers. I, I just think Oregon State's coaching staff is really adept at putting their quarterbacks in these perfect scenarios where, you know, they just they tailor their playbook and their play calling and their their entire scheme around the quarterback's strengths. Uh, I, that has been entirely apparent through two weeks uh, with DJ. But I just thought it was interesting to see that firsthand. Uh, kind of the the just the difference between how they could use two guys on their own roster. Yeah, I I, I like what what they've done so far. And, and DJU clearly just needed a change of scenery, and we'll see how successful he's able to be uh, when, once conference play begins. And that Washington State game next week uh, certainly looms large. He adapted to Oregon State like you can adapt to any situation with Jace Medical. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is to fill out a simple online form and, in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of our board-certified physicians. Get ongoing care from our from their physicians on any treatment-related questions. Doctor created, doctor, doctor recommended. You don't want to be caught unprepared. Everyone has to be empowered to take care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care reliance on supply chain and china and you've got shortages and everything going on in the world right now you want to be able to be prepared and that's what jace medical can help you do save more than 360 dollars by getting these life-saving antibiotics with jace medical plus an additional 20 additional 20 off by using my code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com that's j-a-s-e medical.com Second segment, second segment sip. Always, always a lifesaver here on Locked On at Pac-12. Thanks so much for tuning in. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review wherever you're listening or watching right now. Carter Baines, twenty. Carter Baines, not Pains. He is not a pain. He is definitely not. That was not. That was not a jab. Just because I'm an Oregon fan. Um, though I might want to stash that one in my back pocket for the future. Uh, Carter Baines, the 24/7 Sports National Writing Desk, and Beaver Blitz joining me here. So. One thing that I, I wondered about coming into this year was was Oregon State and their number one receiver situation. Treshawn Harrison not uh, on on this year's roster. He was the number one target and kind of that big bodied receiver for for the Beavs last year. That was kind of the only question I had about them offensively. I trust them to develop tight ends. I know they have good running backs. I I think they have two great slot kind of you know gadget speed guys. But what, what's kind of been the look for you offensively complementing DJU with, you know, a, a receiving presence on, on the outside? Well, I think it starts with the the two guys that you're mentioning there, Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould, who uh, are going to be far and away the leading receivers on this team. I mean, it's the offense runs through those two guys. Um, Anthony Gould missed the UC Davis game due to an injury. I don't think it's going to be very long term, though. You know, we might see him against San Diego State. Maybe they'll hold him out. Um, and, and we see him in the conference opener. Uh, but getting getting Gould back into the mix, I mean, the big playability with DJ's arm strength, um, it's, it's pretty intriguing. Uh, Silas Bolden brings that too. I mean, 
the special teams ability too with with both of those guys. I mean, Silas Bolden returned a punt return t- for a touchdown last week. That's normally Anthony Gould's yeah. role because Bolden normally does the kickoffs, and Gould is the one who always returns the the, the punts for touchdowns. That's what you call an yeah. embarrassment of riches in the return game. Exactly. You've got literally two All Conference guys and an All American uh in your in your special teams room oh and they just happen to be your primary pass catchers yeah so getting them the ball is is probably a priority um you know those are the those are the two guys oregon state has a lot of younger um slash former walk-on guys in the wide receiver room who are are starting to step up uh rehal manyagi actually caught a, a touchdown last last week i believe and i mean that's a guy who joined the program in like 2018 as a walk-on, I believe, and is just now getting his first action at receiver. And I mean, he's producing. Um, Josiah Irish has been in the program for about as long, uh, traditionally a special teams guy who is uh, expanding his role. So it, it's kind of this committee of, of guys who maybe were overlooked in the past or, um, you know, who, who needed a few years to develop that are finally starting to blossom. Um and it, it's not like they're just throwing them into the mix and seeing what sticks. I mean, these are guys who earned those roles in camp too. Um, and then, you know, I, I, excuse me, I'm battling COVID here. So <laughs> remote podcast work is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Ready really for is. any occasion. Um, and then you mentioned the tight ends. I mean, Oregon State's offense is very tight end reliant. Um, and, and that's going to be the case again this year. Riley Sharp actually moved over from outside linebacker uh, where he was for, man, like four years. Uh, caught a touchdown last week at, at tight end. So he's adding to the depth there. Uh, you know, you've got Jack Velling returning, Jake Overman, um, and then uh, Jermaine Terry from Cal who transferred in, who, who was a former four-star recruit. So, uh, you know, the wealth of riches, as you mentioned, in the wide receiver room, I think um, – or at the top of the wide receiver room with their with regard to their special teams ability, I, I think that that translates as well to the tight end group. So um, you have a, a variety of, of targets and and what they provide uh, skill set wise around DJ. Well, the offense has certainly looked good so far, and we'll see what they do against San Diego State. I expect at home uh, in the newly renovated Reeser Stadium, which looks great, by the way. Uh, I think they will they'll be all right uh, against the Aztecs. Let's talk about the Bees kind of big picture here and how they've looked compared to the other Pac-12 contenders. Because I, I thought coming into the year, and I, and I still believe this, by the way, that there, there are five teams really that can win the Pac-12 title. Now, I understand some people might want to put UCLA into that mix. I think Dante Moore is really talented. I thought he should have been the starter from the from the jump this season. I think that he's got a lot of potential He's still a true freshman and is going to make some true freshman mistakes, but he's certainly further along than, say, you know, a Jaden Rashada down at Arizona State or Sam Jackson at Cal, who's uh, basically starting for the first time. But I, I, I think that UCLA is a good team. I don't think they're a conference championship team in, in this league. I think your contenders are Oregon State, Oregon, Washington, Utah, and, and USC. Everyone's kind of delivered a mixed bag of sorts. I mean, USC and Oregon State, they haven't played anybody. Oregon and Utah escaped on the road. I think Utah probably more impressive there because they did it with uh, a backup quarterback, though I think Oregon was playing a better team overall in in Texas Tech. I, I, I don't know if I have a strong sense right now of like where the hierarchy kind of is for, for Oregon State. Do you think we just need to get 
into conference play before we can definitively say, okay, it's, you know, USC and Washington up here and Oregon and Utah and Oregon State are all in the next tier and Oregon State's maybe at the, at the top of that. What do you think? I, I agree with you. And I mean, I'd throw Washington into that mix of we don't really know what to make of them because they haven't played anyone either. I mean, Boise State is, I guess, their best opponent, but they lost to UCF at home. So how good are the Broncos really this year too? Um, you know, and then they beat, uh, Tulsa, Tulsa. blowout. So, I mean, Michael Penix is doing Michael Penix things, but like he's doing it against like mid tier group of five competition. So I, I do want to see a little bit more, uh, of Washington in, in conference play, but I mean, I don't have any concerns about them. I don't have any concerns about any of these teams. It's just that, you know, obviously they haven't played similarly talented opponents yet. Um, and, and that's where you'll really learn the, the, the nitty gritty of these teams, you know, it's the, the can DJ Uyunglele, um, you know, it, can his accuracy uh, really, really be improved when he's playing against, um, you know, Pac-12 secondaries. And it's, it's the When he plays against quarter. Washington State next week, frankly. Yeah. Like, that's going to be a legitimate test. That defense is nasty. Yeah, like if it's the fourth quarter and Oregon State needs a touchdown to to force overtime or to win, like can he come through or is he going to overthrow receivers by five yards like he did at Clemson? You know, I, I think uh, we'll learn a lot more about that when, when the pressure's on than you know, when he's playing a San Jose State or a San Diego State and the Beavers have a three-touchdown cushion and it doesn't really matter what he does. Um, but I think we will see things sort out pretty early in conference play. Um, you know, I think you'll start to see that the top half separate from the bottom half. The bottom half of the Pac-12 has looked really good. I mean, we were uh, we'll both. It's not really a bottom half. I mean, like saying that there is a bottom half to this conference would imply teams other than uh, Arizona State and Stanford look bad at this point, which yeah. nobody nobody does really. Right. I mean, I mean that's the point that I'm I'm, I'm trying to get at here is like where is the separation when the separation comes like where where do we draw the line like is ucla part of that mix are they not is washington state actually for real or are they just you know kind of one of those pseudo top 25 teams uh i i am really curious to see how the conference shakes out because i think this is the deepest it's been in i mean maybe forever it's 10 deep um but I think that could also hurt the teams at the top. You know, we talked oh, about yeah. the Pac-12 beating itself up year after year, the the inability for a team to, to run the table, go undefeated in conference play. Yeah, there's not going to be a 12-0 a, a Pac-12 champion this year. There might not even be an 11-1 Pac-12 champion this year. Oh, I, I, I don't think there's going to be a one-loss conference champion. I think we're missing the, the playoff once again as a league because it is so gosh darn deep. I mean, our, our most beloved American traditions go 4th of July, Christmas, and the Pac-12 cannibalizing itself out of the playoff. Like, the, these things just take place annually, and we celebrate them, or, you know, some people maybe don't enjoy them as much. I don't know how you don't enjoy the 4th of July and Christmas, but uh, some people might not enjoy the Pac-12 not making the playoff year after year ever since uh, Washington last made it in 2016. I've, I've long held that opinion, and I've only, I'm, I'm like tripling down on it. Carter, because when I say the league goes 10 deep, I mean there are 10 teams that I, I think can finish over 500 in in 2023. And I think it'll be a rough year for ASU and for, uh, and for Stanford as well. I thought that coming in. But I thought Colorado was going to need a year. Clearly they don't. They're ready to be a team that gets over 500. And 
there's just such a gauntlet. Like right now, if you look at every Pac-12 team schedule, it features like five or six ranked opponents. It's like, no, okay, no one's getting through that undefeated, first of all. Who's getting through it with only one loss? And you have to factor in the conference championship game as well, in which you're going to almost assuredly be playing one of these top five teams that we talked about coming into the year, Oregon State, Oregon, USC, Utah, and Washington. So, uh, and, and on the Washington thing real quick, I know they haven't played anybody yet this year, but everything looks the exact same to me as it did a season ago. I think that's the team that I honestly have the fewest questions about. Like as a football team top to bottom, I, I, I think they look basically the same. I haven't seen it. Like the only question I had coming into, the, into, uh, into this year about them was, well, what's the interior O-line? They're replacing a few guys in there. Is that going to be the same? I mean, so far, so good. Penix has thrown for, I think, over 400 yards in each of the first two games. That's what he did, you know, early in uh, the 2022 season as well. So I, I don't have as many questions there. The other teams, I think you can raise more questions about, but I don't put them in the doubt category because I think uh, the teams are, are, are really, really good. Something else that, that I don't doubt, Carter is everyone's ability to find a good deal on game time because that's the best way to buy tickets to your favorite event, which shouldn't be stressful, but sometimes is. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. You can go in, click on your seats, and see a picture of where the seats actually are, what they look like, and decide whether or not you want to go there or somewhere else, buy something more expensive, get something a little bit more affordable, whatever you want, they've got it. They also have a lowest price guarantee, so if you find a ticket in the same spot that's cheaper elsewhere, they'll refund you for 110% of the difference. Get images of your seat, get the best deals, get flash deals as well that pop up, and you can get tickets the day of the event. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code Locked On College for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, so uh, I, I did want your thoughts on my my Washington theory, which is that they, to me, are the team that I have the fewest questions about because USC, I don't really know if that defense is better. They played better against Nevada and Stanford. I, I think that's an encouraging thing, but I need to see that against a legitimate Power 5 competition. Utah, if Cam Rising doesn't play, I mean... If Cam Rising does play, how healthy is he? What does he look like? When does he play? Which certainly not this week against Weber State, maybe for a couple series, but next week against UCLA, I think will be the first test really for him. Oregon State, DJU has looked better so far against an average Mountain West team and an FCS opponent. Oregon's defense had moments against Texas Tech where it was good. They also, as a team, committed 14 penalties, and a lot of them came on the defensive side of the ball. So I think everyone kind of has a major question there. But Washington right now, to me, looks like the most rinse-and-repeat team from from a season to go through two games. And they've got the same quarterback, same receivers, and the same offensive coordinator, and the same tight ends. I'm with you there, and I think uh, it's mostly because of what you just mentioned there. They return basically everybody from last year's team. Everybody that was... Um, Everybody you know, that matters. A, a key for the contributor, most part. basically. Aside from the Jackson one, Kirkland along the offensive line, I can't think yeah. of a major player that they lost. But it's still a good offensive line. So, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, the, the thing with them, I think, is the depth piece. Um, if they're not 100% healthy, I think that's, and I mean, this goes for every team, but, but I think particularly with Washington, 
there may be a few more depth concerns there than at some of the other schools. Um, and so, you know, like what happens if you lose one of your top two receivers? What, you know, what happens if, if Penix has to miss a game? Cause I mean, he has been highly injury prone throughout his career. Um, I, I think that is where Washington gets really vulnerable. Whereas the other teams, it's more like, you know, we have deficiencies that we can see with our own two eyes right now in these starting lineups. Um, another thing with Oregon too, is the Dan Lanning effect. Like I think he single-handedly cost them the Oregon state and Washington games last year with his decision-making. Like, has he learned from his errors? Is his game management better this year? Um, you know, I'd throw well, that the problem is the defense wouldn't make any stops. Like, I, I, I see yeah. what you're saying, and I think that's a, a fair question overall, particularly with Washington. You know, Oregon went for it on their own side of the field, like the 30-yard line with minute 34 to go, and then running back slips, and, it was, you know, the backup quarterback was in the game. They couldn't get Bo back on the field to, you know, present the quarterback run threat or, or do a quarterback sneak or anything. If we punt that ball, I, I, people know, I'm sure, that I'm a, by now that I'm an Oregon fan, if Oregon punts that ball back to Washington, they're, they're moving right down the field. Like, there were, there were no stops to be had in that game. So that was, that was certainly the, the thinking there. The Oregon State game, they weren't making stops. Would they have been able to, maybe? Perhaps. Um, but I, I think more than the decision-making, I think the question for landing right now in the Ducks is, like, is that defense just going to be improved schematically and results-wise? There, there were moments against Texas Tech where I felt, okay, this is a much better defense. There were moments where I was like, same kind of issues as last year, but they got more pressure, they created turnovers, and, and they held up much better in the trenches than they did a, a season ago. Um, so I, I think that's, and again, that's still what I'm kind of wondering. is like, okay, they, they forced four turnovers. That's really, really good. They had four sacks. That's really good. They didn't have those things as often last year, and they were playing, you know, a power five opponent on the road in Texas Tech. But they had 14 penalties for 124 yards. You do that against Washington or USC, and you give first downs the way they did in the secondary, yeah, that's going to be a 400-plus yard passing day for Caleb Williams or Michael Penix. Yeah, I mean, the defense is obviously my number one concern with Oregon. The landing thing was just kind of a – it's just kind of a small thing that I I guess I – I um I, I have a few questions about just based off of you know some of his decisions last year, but uh, I mean everything like you said it does start with the defense. Like if if the defense plays up to its uh, its star caliber, you know last year they're not in a situation where they have to make those play Correct. calls to go for it on fourth down. So uh, I mean you're you're right in, in in that vein. One more thing before we we move on to to Oregon State Washington State. Um, you know, we talked we talked about the Pac-12 eating itself up at the top. Maybe this is the year that a two-loss Pac-12 champion makes it to the college football playoff. No way. I I mean I I with the SEC down like it is. I mean the SEC is a one bid a, a one bid league this year. I think people have recognized, and you know, national analysts are talking about how good the Pac-12 is, and and people recognize it. And you have big brands that are really good again in USC, Oregon, and Washington. Like, maybe the resumes are just so good that a two-loss Pac-12 champion gets in. I mean, it, it depends. If, okay. if your losses, if, if you're USC and your losses are to Oregon and Washington, who are both probably nine or ten win teams, and you win the Pac-12 championship, like, you might get in over an SEC team this year. It would depend... <sighs> 
Depends on schedules. Depends on who's got wins where. Here, Here's where I come at it. There are still three teams in the SEC that would get in as a one-loss 11-1 or conference champion, and that's LSU, Bama, Georgia. If any of those are one-loss, I, I still... The Pac-12, you're right, is getting more national respect, which is great because they deserve it. But there's still a lot of SEC bias in the world, and I think the Pac-12 is making a dent at that right now, but they haven't made enough dents over the years to where the committee would say, nah, a two-loss team is going to to get in from the Pac-12. Like I, I would be surprised if that happens. And you just gave me a discussion point for, you know, sometime next week on the show. So uh, thank you. Thank you for that. But I want to talk about this Washington State game before we uh, before we get out of here for today, because this is suddenly looking. First of all, it's going to be a top 25 matchup. Oregon State's going to roll over San Diego State. Wazoo is playing, I think, Idaho uh, this week. Like they, you know, okay, they're both going to be three and oh, they're both going to be ranked in the top 25. It's in Pullman, which is going to be on fire because that's what Pullman does. What what? What is your early feeling right now on how the Beavs can match up uh, against the Cougs, a place where historically they have struggled, and against a team that they've historically struggled with until this past season? It feels like uh, this is one of those those games the last couple of years uh, before, you know, the, the whole coaching shakeup where it's like first to 55 wins, it's back and forth, just haymaker after haymaker. And, you know, Oregon State's trying to make it to a bowl and Washington State's trying to compete for a Pac-12 championship. Like, this feels like one of those games from, like, the 2019, you know, era of, of these programs. Um, I, yeah, there's a lot on the line. It's just unfortunate that I, I think that these teams have to play each other this year because I, I just think there's so much mutual respect for each other right now. I, I mean. Shoot, there I was really at the stadium. They announced the Washington State Wisconsin score, and, and the crowd erupts like Oregon State scored a touchdown. Uh, it's unfortunate that there has to be a loser between these two teams. Um, uh, another element of that is uh, this game's 4 p.m. on Fox. Like, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this, and it's on one of the networks that you know Oregon State and Washington State fans say is you know, the reason behind Oregon State and Washington State getting They're not the only ones saying that. You can put me in that boat. Fox has been a bad actor in this entire situation. So, I I mean, I I saw a a Twitter poll, you know, if if Fox sends its its big noon Sunday crew and, you know, its its faux college game day set to, to Pullman, do Washington State fans boycott? Do they show up and boo the entire show? Like, Oh, they should. I I think 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 that's, that's... I think that's kind of a fun element to this thing. Like Oregon State and Washington State have have a, a major bone to pick with the national network that is broadcasting Correct. this game. And it's probably going to be a great game. And people are going to be saying, how does this network not want more of this? I I, I agree. And, you know, may, I, I this is wishful thinking. Maybe they would see the game play out and go, gosh, almighty, we can't leave these schools behind. But yeah. I, I don't think one football game can change, uh, you know, the mountains that have already been moved on on the realignment front. And unfortunately, it looks like a matchup of future Mountain West teams or new pack, formerly Mountain West teams. And, and I think that just uh, as I've talked about many times here on the show, I, I think that all absolutely stinks. But I mean, the stakes are going to be so high because you've got Wisconsin uh, having gone in there and lost already. So Washington State's in the top 25. Oregon State will be 3-0 feeling good. Oregon State's trying to contend for a Pac-12 title. If Washington State wins that game, I think we'd have to talk about them, at least in the conversation, 
of of being putting themselves in the mix for a Pac-12 title game appearance. I don't necessarily think they could get there, but you would have to discuss it because the Cougs, like the Beavs, have one of the more favorable schedules in, in, in the league. So I think it's just such a massive tone setter for both as conference play begins. And, and if, I'll end on this kind of a negative note, but week three in college football is a dud and the Pac-12 is no different. There are not that many good games. We had seven Power 5 non-conference matchups last week in the Pac-12. We have one this week, and the Huskies are a 16-point favorite in East Lansing against Michigan State. So it's not quite as vaunted of a lineup of games this week, but then get excited about next week because you have UCLA at Utah, top 25 matchup, Oregon State at Washington State, top 25 matchup, Colorado at Oregon, top 25 matchup, and then don't sleep on games like Arizona at Stanford, which I, I think could be fun just because it's on the road. Maybe Stanford gives Arizona a little bit of a scare. I think they'll be fine. But Cal at Washington, we've seen crazy things happen in that matchup before. And I think Cal's a pretty solid football team. So, um, yeah, th- 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 this week, just about everybody's going to be enjoying a win. I have no idea what I'm going to do for my Pac-12 prime picks on tomorrow's show because I hate the lines i got to pick this week, but I'm going to... Stick to my word, pick five games, grin and bear it, and, and get it done. Any any closing advice on that, Carter? Any lines that you like this week? They're all over the place. No, I, I uh, was in charge of the uh, the week three opening lines for, for 24-7 sports uh, uh, earlier this week, and I said, man, there are very few intriguing matchups this week. It's like the only games, <laughs> the only games between brands that I even really care about this week are like 20 point lines. So I've got nothing for you there. One more note though, Fox is a tier one media rights partner with the Mountain West. So any sort of protest from Washington State, Oregon State fans, Mm, not going to go very far because Fox is going to say, well, guess what? We're going to broadcast your games anyway. So there goes that whole thing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end on on that particular note, not dive into that nonsense. Carter Baines, 24-7 Sports and BeaverBlitz.com. Thanks as always, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate all of you listening. Thank you so much for doing that. I'll see you next time. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.